Section 52 of Selected Poems of Francis Thompson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Selected Poems of Francis Thompson by Francis Thompson. Appreciations of Francis Thompson. Such pronouncements proved at least that a poet who had no friends save such as his published poems gained for him, could count on an immediate recognition for high merit. For these tributes, and many more of like welcoming, placed him instantly out of range of the common casualties of criticism. From the Note on Francis Thompson As the writer of the note has not attempted a critical estimate of the poetry, some of these appreciations, forming part of the poet's life history, and even of the literary history of his time, are here reproduced. Mr. Francis Thompson is a writer whom it is impossible that any qualified judge should deny to be a new poet. And while most poets of his quality have usually to wait a quarter of a century or more for adequate recognition, this poet is pretty sure of a wide and immediate acknowledgment. We find that in these poems profound thought, far-fetched splendor of imagery, and nimble-witted discernment of those analogies which are the roots of the poet's language abound, qualities which ought to place him in the permanent ranks of fame with Cowley and Crashaw. The hound of heaven is so great and passionate in such a meter-creating motive that we are carried over all obstructions of the rhythmical current and are compelled to pronounce it at the end one of the very few great odes of which the language can boast. In a lesser degree, this meter-making passion prevails in the seven remarkable pieces called Love in Diane's Lap, poems of which Laura might have been proud, and Lucretia not ashamed, to have had addressed to her. The main region of Mr. Thompson's poetry is the inexhaustible and hitherto almost unworked mind of Catholic philosophy. Not but that he knows better than to make his religion the direct subject of any of his poems, unless it presents itself to him as a human passion, and the most human of passions, as it does, in the splendid ode just noticed, and which God's long pursuit and final conquest of the resisting soul is described in a torrent of as humanly impressive verse as was ever inspired by a natural affection. Mr. Thompson places himself by these poems in the front rank of pioneers of the movement, which, if it be not checked, as in the history of the world it has once or twice been checked before, by premature formulation, and by popular and profane perversion, must end in creating a new heaven and a new earth. Coventry Patmore in the Fortnightly Review It is not only the religious ecstasy of Crashaw that they recall, for all the daringly fantastic imagery, all the love lyrical hyperbole, all that strange mixture of artifice, of spontaneous passion, and studied conceit, which were so characteristic of the age of Crashaw, are with the same astonishing fidelity reproduced, where, unless perhaps in here and there a sonnet of Rossetti's, has this sort of sublimated enthusiasm for the bodily and spiritual beauty of womanhood found such expression as in love in Diane's lap, between the age of the Stuarts and our own. To realize the full extent to which the religious or semi-religious emotions, now ecstatic, now awe-stricken, 
dominate and color the entire fabric of these strange poems they must be read throughout in the lines of the dead cardinal of westminster we see them at their subtlest and in the very powerful piece the hound of heaven a poem setting forth the pursuit of the human soul by divine grace they are at their most intense the minority who can recognize the essentials under the accidents of poetry and who feel that it is to poetic form alone and not to forms that eternity belongs will agree that alike in wealth and dignity of imagination in depth and subtlety of thought and in magic and mastery of language a new poet of the first rank is to be welcomed in the author of this volume h d trail in the nineteenth century the first thing to be done and by far the most important is to recognize that we are here face to face with a poet of the first order a man of imagination all compact a seer and singer of rare genius he revels indeed in orgiac imageries and revelry implies excess but when excess is an excess of strength the debauch a debauch of beauty who can condemn or even regret it would we had a few more poets who could exceed in such imagery as this it is no minor caroline singer who recalls but the jacobian shakespeare the daily chronicle a volume of poetry has not appeared in queen victoria's reign more authentic in greatness of utterance than this in the rich and virile harmonies of his line in strange and lovely vision in fundamental meaning he is possibly the first of victorian poets and at least is he of none the inferior in all sobriety do we believe him of all poets to be the most celestial in vision the most august in faculty in a word a new planet has swum into the ken of the watchers of the poetic skies these are big words but we have weighed them for there is that in mr francis thompson's poetry which discourages the flamboyant appreciations of the more facile impressionist and gives him pause in his ready-made enthusiasms it is patent on the first page that there is genius in this inspiration and the great note in this utterance but page after page reveals the rich and the strange and the richer and the stranger in so many original moods and noble measures that the reviewer feels the necessity of caution in nothing does thompson appear more authentically a poet than in the fact that his sense of beauty is part of his religion in this he is like shelley except that shelley's sense of beauty was his religion and lived in an atmosphere of sensuousness a sensuousness that has little of the grosser taints of earth about it indeed but which is still sensuousness therefore shelley wrote the glorious epipsychidion therefore mr thompson writes her portrait the longest and greatest poem in his book and speaking for ourselves we shall say at once that episcidion long unique in the language has at last found its parallel perhaps its peer in her portrait of this her of mr thompson's we must say that she is the significance of his book if his sense of beauty is part of his religion his religion is that of a rapt catholic to whom the very heaven with all that therein be is open and palpable his is the catholicism of profound mysticism and of the most universal temper it is perfectly safe to affirm that if mr thompson write no other line by this volume alone 
is as secure of remembrance as any poet of the century his vocabulary is very great mr thompson's first volume is no mere promise it is itself among the great achievements of english poetry it has reached the peak of parnassus at a bound he has actually accomplished the high thing in metaphysical poetry that dunn and crashaw only dreamed of his mysticism is infinitely more profound and significant than theirs as his imagination is more impulsive ardent and beautiful he is the great platonist of english poetry if mr thompson had never written anything after his first volume there would be but one smart poet with whom the author of her portrait could be compared for orchestral majesties of song and that one milton he is an argonaut of literature far travelled in the realms of gold and he has in a strange degree the assimilative mind we do not think we forget any of the splendid things of an english anthology when we say that the hound of heaven seems to us on the whole the most wonderful lyric in the language it fingers all the stops of the spirit and we hear now a thrilling and dolorous note of doom and now the choiring of the spheres and now the very pipes of pan but under all the still sad music of humanity it is the return of the nineteenth century to thomas a kempis j l garvin in the newcastle chronicle and in the bookman the fine frenzy and the fine line these are two root characteristics of mr thompson's really remarkable poem one has seldom seen poet more wildly abandoned to his rapture more absorbed in the trance of his ecstasy when the irresistible moment comes he throws himself upon his mood as a glad swimmer gives himself to the waves careless whither the strong tide carries him knowing only the wild joy of the laughing waters and the rainbow spray he shouts as it were for mere gladness in the welter of wonderful words and he dives swift and fearless to fetch his deep-sea fancies when weak men venture on these vagaries they drown but mr thompson is a strong swimmer hyperboles which in other hands had seemed merely absurd in his delight us as examples of that fine excess which is one of the most enthralling of the many enchantments of poetry indeed mr thompson must simply be crashaw born again but born greater though the conception for example of the hound of heaven the case of a sinner fleeing from the love of christ is exactly in crashaw's vein yet it was not in his power to have suggested such tremendous speed and terror of flight as whirls through every line of mr thompson's poem r le gallien in the daily chronicle a new poet and this time a major and not a minor one on the section called love and diane's lap much might be said of its extraordinary conception and workmanship the section is one long beautiful song of praise and even worship of one whom the poet calls his dear administress but surely never was woman worshipped with more utter chastity of passion whether before her portrait in youth or regarding her as a poet breaking silence or only reflecting on her wearing of a new dress the poet is so full of fine matter and so adoring in his expression of it as to bring dante himself to mind st james gazette here are dominion 
domination over language and a sincerity as of robert burns the epithet sublime has been sadly stained and distorted by comic writers and there is a danger in applying it in its honest light without warning this safeguard established we have to say that in our opinion mr thompson's poetry at its highest attains a sublimity unsurpassed by any victorian poet a sublimity which will stand the hideous test of extracts in her portrait a constant interchange of symbol between earthly and heavenly beauty pulses like day and night john davidson in the speaker when at the end of eighteen ninety three there appeared a little quarto volume of poems by francis thompson the english world of letters experienced an agreeable shock of surprise it was as if a rocket had been sent up into the dark night his poems have all the pomp and prodigality of imagination for which gray's frugal muse longed the spectator words and cadences must have had an intoxication for him the intoxication of the scholar and cloudy trophies were continually falling into his hands and half through them in his hurry to seize and brandish them he swung a rare incense in a censer of gold under the vault of a chapel where he had hung votive offerings when he chanted in his chapel of dreams the airs were often airs which he had learnt from crashaw and from patmore they came to life again when he used them and he made for himself a music which was part strangely familiar and part his own almost bewilderingly such reed notes and such orchestration of sound were heard nowhere else and people listened to the music entranced as by a new magic the genius of francis thompson was oriental exuberant in colour woven into elaborate patterns and went draped in old silk robes that had survived many dynasties the spectacle of him was an enchantment he passed like a wild vagabond of the mind dazzling our sight he had no message but he dropped sentences by the way cries of joy or pity love of children worship of the virgin and the saints and of those who were patron saints to him on earth his voice was heard like a wandering music which no one heeded for what it said in a strange tongue but which came troubling into the mind bringing it the solace of its old recaptured melodies arthur simons in the saturday review to read mr francis thompson's poems then is like setting sail with drake or hawkins in search of new worlds and golden spoils he has the magnificent elizabethan manner the splendour of conception the largeness of imagery catherine tynan hinkson in the bookman as a matter of fact such facts as one kisses the book to in a court of law it was in a railway carriage on my way back to london that i first read mr thompson's poem the mistress of vision but in such truth as would pass anywhere but in a court of law it was at cambridge in the height of the summer term and in a fellow's garden that the revelation first came i thought then in my enthusiasm that no such poem had been written or attempted since coleridge attempted and left off writing kubla khan in a cooler hour i think so yet and were my age twenty-five or so it would delight me to swear to it riding to any man's drawbridge who shuts his gates against it and blowing the horn of challenge it is verily a wonderful poem hung like a fairy tale in middle air 
a sleeping palace of beauty set in a glade in the heart of the woods of Wester Main. Surprised there and recognized with a gasp as satisfying and summarizing a thousand youthful longings after beauty. To me also my admiration seemed too hot to last, but four or five years have me unrepentant. It seemed to me to be more likely to be a perishable joy because I had once clutched at and seemed to grasp similar beauties in Poe. Mr. Thompson's thought, always strong, often runs into phrases of exquisite sweetness and exquisite clarity. The lines beginning, Firm is the man, and set beyond the cast of fortune's game and the iniquitous hour, are worthy to be remembered beside Daniel's epistle to the Countess of Cumberland. Sir A. Quiller Couch, Q., in the Daily News. Thompson's poetry is a wassail of orgiac imageries. He is a poet's poet, like Shelley and Blake. In order to follow him as he soars from image to image and symbol to symbol, you must have the rare wings of imagination. Thompson mixes his metaphors so wisely that they illumine each other, strange light shooting out of their weltering chaos, like the radiance of phosphorescent waves. He troubles you with sudden pictures that flash out against the blackness. This gift of dreadful vision is not found in Crashaw or in Patmore, in Dunn or in Herbert, and therefore it seems to me that Thompson is essentially more akin to Blake, Coleridge, and Rossetti than to the ecclesiastical mystics. He is a twentieth-century mystic with a seventeenth-century manner. James Douglas in The Morning Leader Great poets are obscure for two opposite reasons now because they are talking about something too large for anyone to understand and now again because they are talking about something too small for anyone to see francis thompson possessed both these affinities he was describing the evening earth with its mist and fume and fragrance and represented the whole as rolling upwards like a smoke then suddenly he called the whole ball of the earth a thurible and said that some gigantic spirit swung it slowly before God. This is the case of the image too large for comprehension. Another instance sticks in my mind of the image which is too small. In one of his poems he says that the abyss between the known and the unknown is bridged by the pontifical death. There are about ten historical and theological puns in that one word. That a priest means a pontiff, that a pontiff means a bridge-maker, that death is certainly a bridge, that death may turn out, after all, to be a reconciling priest, that at least priest and bridges both attest to the fact that one thing can get separated from another thing. These ideas, and twenty more, are all tacitly concentrated in the word pontifical. In Francis Thompson's poetry, as in the poetry of the universe, you can work infinitely out and out, and yet infinitely in and in. These two infinities are the mark of greatness. He was a great poet. G. K. Chesterton in the Illustrated London News Thompson used his large vocabulary with a boldness, and especially a recklessness, almost a frivolity in rhyme, that were worthy of Browning. On the other hand, these rugged points were, at a further view, absorbed into the total effect of beauty in a manner which Browning never achieved. For the poet, entirely free from timidity in matters of poetic form, relied not on 
chastity or perfection of detail but on the perfervid rush of his genius which simply carried his readers over the rough places here was a large utterance large in bulk in speed and a lavish disregard of economy and yet what could not for a moment be mistaken was that the poetry was at once great and sincere the sister songs written in praise of two little sisters contain a number of lovely and most musical lines and some passages such as the seventh section of the first poem which spencer would not have disowned the times the greater a poet's message the more profound his thought the larger his range and the more exquisite his note the deeper and more incessant will be his demand upon his reader that is why the great poets have had to wait for their recognition only the few will or can cooperate at the beginning but they are the leaven and now whole masses can see the poetic purport of shelley coleridge keats and wordsworth of whom the contemporary criticism was a thing over which you laugh or cry as the mood has you those who see in mr francis thompson an authentic poet have at any rate the profound interest of watching the various stages in the making of their immortal how have the portents followed the precedent afforded by the poets just named in general very accurately we think the common attitude of critics towards them and him has been very similar in the case of shelley it is so near in its very wording as to be sometimes startling extravagances and novelties of diction a toppling over of images and obscurity of course that were dwelt upon by objectors very just objectors no doubt who busied and troubled about details lost all sense of proportion and had no ear for the great and ultimate meaning of the poet's message the note that comes most majestically from mr thompson is that of the reconciliation of the two natures and destinies of man to that literal oneness wordsworth groped in his merely kindred points of heaven and home of that oneness rossetti has the hint and coventry patmore the full vision mr thompson is the heir of the poets and he has entered fully into his inheritance he has not picked their flowers and worn them fading their seed has passed into his life and they have blossomed anew the academy no other among the younger poets so effectually proclaimed the mastery of the grand style none other had so securely occupied a position on the right side of the line which forever separates inspiration from talent poetry from agreeable verse he appeared on the scene fully equipped there were no long years of public neglect or production of volumes which lay unnoticed on the bookstalls before being cast into the dust heap the marvellous splendour of his verse volume revealed a writer of no common order with a secureness of touch a magical decoration of style and a real message behind all the pomp and glitter and dazzling display it was art not for art's sake but charged with a meaning and a name the hound of heaven was hailed by all competent critics as one of the great religious poems of this time or of any time the daily news end of section fifty two end of selected poems of francis thompson by francis thompson